Jesus went about everywhere doing good and healing everybody who was oppressed, meaning treated harshly by the devil. The devil can't treat you any other way but harshly because he's evil and there's no good in him. But everywhere Jesus went, he noticed that people were in bondage, the Bible doesn't mince words, to the devil. And Jesus alone could break the power of the devil. Amen? What's a stronghold? It's whatever holds you strong. But Jesus alone can break a stronghold. Amen? Now, I'm going to show you today that Jesus changed lives even when he was a little guy. Amen? I mean, Jesus changed lives. When you encounter Jesus, whether he was two or 32, he changed your life every time. How many of you can say he changed mine? Amen? All right. So I'm going to talk to you today about the infamous three wise men. And we're going to read Matthew 2, 1 through 11. We're just going to move right through it. And I'm going to show you how the Lord Jesus changed them. Now, it says, now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and we've come to worship him. But uh uh-oh, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem was troubled with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them, where is Christ to be born? So they said to him, well, in Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, but you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you, Bethlehem, shall come a ruler, capital R, who, capital W, will shepherd my people Israel. An eternal personality is going to invade earth via Bethlehem. Verse 7, then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined for them what time the star appeared. And he said, uh, or he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the young child. And when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. And when they heard the king, they departed and behold the star which they had seen in the east that had temporarily disappeared, reappeared, and went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. In verse 11, when they came into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, don't know where Joseph was, and fell down and worshiped him. I said they fell down and worshiped a two-year-old. Don't ever do that. This one was unique, right? And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to this little two-year-old. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Bless it to our hearts today in the name of the Lord Jesus, the Son of the living God. Would you breathe a prayer, church, and say, speak to me today, Lord? I receive it. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell them, this is going to be good. <laughs> now, I, I like uh, digging deep and just kind of finding out what's behind what's going on and different stories, getting a little history and so on and so forth. And um, actually, 
we need to understand that the visit of these wise men was very different from the shepherds. The shepherds went and found Jesus right after he had been born. But these wise men came much later. They visited, they found, discovered Jesus, were drawn to Jesus when he was about two years old. So he's been around two years already. The word used to describe Jesus, the Greek word, when, when they walk into the house and it says they saw the young child, the Greek word is not brephos, meaning newborn, but it's paideon, meaning child in training. So at this point, Jesus is a child in training, paideon. We know that they find him in a house, not in a manger scene, not in a stable, but they find him in a house. So Joseph and Mary have settled down. They've already got a house. And that's where they find Jesus, in Bethlehem, in a house. Now, the story here begins with a beautiful, mysterious, never-before-seen star hanging over Israel that three, no doubt, Persian astronomers who lived east of Israel, saw hanging in the sky. They were used to checking out the constellations. They, were used, they knew what the skies looked like at night. They, they knew how to track the movement of the constellations. And suddenly they see this star that they've never seen before. It is absolutely unusual. It's unique. They, and, and it's not like a meteorite that is there and gone, but it's hanging over Israel. They've never noticed it. And they're instantly intrigued because they're astronomers. Now, the Bible calls these wise men magi. And they were not Jewish, but they were Gentile. Very important. They had nothing to do with Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses. They, they were not under the Abrahamic or Mosaic covenant. They were not Jewish. They were Gentile astronomers, intelligent, educated, philosophers, men of learning. And again, though we don't know for sure, there's really little doubt that they came from Persia because Persia was to the east of Israel and these wise men came from the east. Now, the landmass of ancient Persia is today Iran and Iraq. Now, having been raised in Persia, it's very likely they were also raised in the false religion called Zoroastrianism. That's a big word, seven syllables. But Zoroastrianism came from the so-called philosopher and prophet Zoroaster. And like all other cult leaders, he claimed to having received a divine revelation from heaven on how to live. He claimed to be in contact with the divine. And if you're gonna achieve purity, and rightness with God, you've got to follow the path that Zoroaster laid out. This was a cult religion. He preached the secrets of creation. And the lifestyle you had to live to pursue a path of righteousness. And he said, it's given to me alone. And that's what all cult leaders always say. I've received a divine revelation that no one else got. And you're to walk in this. That happened with Mormonism and Joseph Smith, and the angel that has supposedly appeared to him in a cave and gave him the Book of Mormon. It happened to Islam, where Muhammad claimed that he was visited by an angel in a cave and given this, this new way 
to live and gave him the Quran. Every false prophet and every false teacher, especially false prophets and false Christ, claim to have had a divine visitation that unique only to them and you must follow me. And that was Zoroaster and that's where Zoroastrianism came from. They believed in many gods and enchanting meaningless mantras as the way to become pure. And now Zoroastrianism is alive and well in many parts of the world today. You may not know about it, but now you do. Now it's very possible this is what the Magi had been raised in. So they were raised in in cultic spiritual darkness, these men. Though they were educated, though they were learned, they were raised with, with total misconceptions about God and life. So when they see this star, they are very lost men, lost Gentiles. They do not know the way of life. And they see this star. Now they knew that a star rising in the west over Israel was not normal because stars don't rise in the west, they rise in the east. So it was so highly unusual what they saw, they decided to go on the original star search. Packing up their stuff, they headed out on a very long journey, about 800 miles. Can you imagine going 800 miles, not in a SUV, Not by plane, not by train, but by foot and camel. You got to want to get somewhere to go 800 miles by foot or on camel. Come on, everybody. Very little would motivate me to go 10 miles on foot or camel. But they went 800. And it required many months of travel. They had to make up their mind. I'm leaving everything. I want you to, to, to think of how much this star intrigued them. They said, we got to pack up everything. We're going to be gone from home and hearth for months. But, but that star, something about that star, we got to find out what that star is about. And so they packed up, loaded up the camels, and they began that long journey through very rough terrain. Now, now I want to pull this story, and I want, I want to point some things out about this story. Because we know who sent the star. It was God that sent the star. I don't know what the star was. Was it an angel? I don't know. Was it an actual uh, physical orb that God created uh, just to put up there for, for this purpose? I don't know. We don't know what it was. I, I particularly believe it was the Shekinah glory of God. <clears throat> That's what I believe. It was the glory of God. It, it was an, some angel or the glory of God hanging over Israel because Jesus, the, the prophesied Messiah, had been born. And it was a great big deal to heaven. Amen? So I want you to notice a, a few things. One, God entered their world to bring them into his world. These were astronomers. They weren't shepherds. They weren't businessmen. They weren't politicians. They weren't farmers. They were astronomers. So, so God used a method best suited to reach them. What better method than to hang a star they'd never seen up in the sky that he knew would intrigue them and draw them. We see in the Bible that God used many methods. Can I tell you something today? When God wants to get your attention, he knows just how to do it. When God wants to get your attention, he knows just how to do it. Do you remember when God began to first call you to Christ? 
You remember how God began to reach you from here, there, and everywhere? It seemed like everywhere you turned, you heard about Jesus and couldn't get away from it. Do you remember that? I felt like I was surrounded by Jesus because I kept running into people telling me about it in juvenile home, a preacher telling me about it. <clears throat> and after I got out of juvenile home, more people always talking to me about Jesus. When God wants to get your attention, he knows how to ring the right bell. Yes, he does. We see in the Bible that God used many methods to speak to, to those he was trying to reach in Old Testament times. He spoke to Moses out of a burning bush. What in the world is up with this bush? It's burning, but it's not consumed. How can this be? And it stopped him. He spoke to Abraham by a voice. He spoke to ancient Israel by the prophets and by dreams and by visions. He spoke to Balaam out of a donkey. Something was wrong with that boy that you got to talk to him out of a donkey. But he spoke to Balaam out of a donkey. And what always got me is he argues with the donkey without stopping to think a donkey's talking to him. It's like, man, you're crazy. So now he spoke to these astronomers through a star. The bottom line is, again, God knows how to get your attention. He changes methods, but he never changes the message. I'm going to say that again. He changes methods, but he never changes the message. Some of the ways we're reaching people now, we didn't reach them 30 years ago. We've changed methods, but we never changed the message. And the message is that Jesus bled and died on the cross for your sins and mine. And that is the unchanging message. The unchanging message. But the, the methods change. God will teach you to reach people in new ways with new methods, new approaches. But you got to be real careful with the new methods. You don't give up the old message. See, a new method's great as long as you don't lose the old message. But there are sometimes people in our day are, giving, are, 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 are uh, dumbing down the old message in order to put it into a new method. But you can't do that. It won't work. The only thing that changes people is telling them Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins and mine. He bled and died and rose from the dead. And that's the unchanging message. By way of methods, he knows how to come into your world, how to enter your space, how to get your ear long enough to hear him calling. Behold, I stand at the door of your heart and I knock. And if any man hears my voice... And opens the door. He'll do the knocking. You've got to do the opening. And opens the door. I will come into him and fellowship with him and he with me. That's the promise. And you get that way by the old message. God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. Whoever believes on him would not perish, but have everlasting life. And so we note that by the time the Magi reached Jerusalem, listen, something amazing has happened to them by way of revelation. Somehow, some way, God had revealed to them in their months-long journey that the unusual star was actually fulfilled prophecy about the coming Messiah. From the time they left to the time they arrived, God was talking to them. When you begin to pursue God, walk after Jesus, come near Jesus, draw near to him, he's going he's to be talking to you because revelation unfolds the more you walk in faith towards him. I don't know how, but maybe they knew about the prophecy in Numbers 24, 17. The prophet says, I see him, but not now. I look at him, but not nearby. A star comes from Jacob. 
a scepter arises from Israel. Now, Herod wanted to know, well, hey, they're saying that uh, the Messiah has arrived and he's been born. So he, he said to his high priest, chief priest and teacher, he said, where is he supposed to arrive? Where, where is he supposed to, to, to be born? And they said to him, they quoted Micah 5 too, but you, Bethlehem, though you are little among the clans of Judah, yet out of you, Bethlehem, shall he, capital H, come forth, who is to be ruler of my people Israel. Listen to this, whose goings, that is, whose, whose movements and whose actions are of old, even from everlasting. So, out of you, Bethlehem, is going to come an eternal personality who has always been. He's not created. He's always been. Jesus was never created. He always was. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. And the Word was God. So he wasn't just a first century hippie walking around in sandals saying neat things. No, Jesus was God the Son. His goings have been from of old, even from everlasting to everlasting. Thou art God. So out of Bethlehem, when the wise men heard this, they made a beeline for Bethlehem. Now the next thing we see is that God's guidance will always lead to God's son. Amen? I want you to notice with me. It says that as soon as they left Herod and set out for Bethlehem, per the word of God, as the word of God had said, he's in Bethlehem, the star reappeared and went and stood over a house. The star, the star stopped at the rooftop where Jesus was. Matthew says it came and stood over where the young child was. This star that they had followed for 800 miles, that they had seen from 800 miles away, now came and stopped right over that house. Now I want you to notice, the star didn't point them to a Jewish temple. The star did not guide them to an Old Testament rabbi. It didn't lead them to one of the many houses of idolatry where all the false idols of Rome were routinely worshipped. No. It didn't lead them to the center of town. No, the star led them to the house where Jesus was and stopped there. Right there. God had no better place to take them. Uh, there was no other destination to lead them to. No other solution for the hunger of their hearts than to guide them to the place where Jesus was. Can I tell you, if you're in search of truth, I'm going to tell you where to stop. Stop at the cross of Christ. Stop at the cross of Christ. Stop right there at the cross of Christ. Because that is where God the Son hung there between heaven and earth for my sins and yours. And took my judgment and took my sin and took my blame and took my guilt and stretched out on that tree. Jesus died for you and he died for me. And that's, that's, that's where God will take anybody who is genuinely looking for truth. You want to know the truth? You want to know where to find yourself? You want to know where to find your future? You want to know where to find your destiny? You want to know where to discover and find how God made you and what he made you to be and do? 
You find it at the cross. Because there the Savior bled and died for black, white, yellow, red, brown. We are all made equal at the foot of the cross. There's no race at the foot of the cross. There's no pedigree at the foot of the cross. There's no better or lesser at the foot of the cross. We're all equal at the foot of the cross. God's answer for the human race hasn't changed. The Bible says God has in these last days spoken to us by his son. By his son. He's the sum total of all truth. You like philosophy? Seek Jesus. You like deep wisdom? Seek Jesus. For he has been made to us the wisdom of God. That's where it's all found. All true education begins and ends with Jesus Christ. Finally, we see the effect that Jesus had. And I want you to look at the effect that Jesus had on these magi. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary. And look what they did. They bowed down and worshipped him. Worshipped him. Bowed down. Mary standing there. They bowed down. Grown men bowed down at a crib and worshipped a two-year-old. Because he was more than a two-year-old. He was God incarnate. God visiting earth. He was God wrapped in skin. He was God come to feel our pain. God come to cry with us. God come to teach us. God come to lead us. God come to redeem us. It was, he was God. So it didn't matter. The chronological age was irrelevant. And... They opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So even as a two-year-old, Jesus radically affected these men. Think about it. Gentile astronomers from a foreign land that had not been raised in Judaism, had not been worshipers of the God of the Bible, became believers and worshipers of Jesus Christ. They were transformed, converted on the spot. And they each gave gifts. And I'm going to talk to you about these gifts briefly, and then we're going to close. They gave gold. First thing, they gave gold. Gold in the Bible always represents royalty. The gold was given to the infant king in token of his royalty. They said, this child is royalty, king of kings, Lord of lords. Amen. And then they gave frankincense. Frankincense is highly fragrant when it's burned. Sort of like uh, uh, first century and Old Testament incense, frankincense. And it was therefore, it was used in worship where it was burned as a pleasant offering to God. So the frankincense was very intentional. They didn't give this by mistake. They didn't give it because it's all they had. They gave frankincense in recognition of his divinity. He was worthy of worship. And they gave myrrh. Oh, what wisdom had been dropped into the hearts of these men? Because the myrrh, the word myrrh means bitterness. And myrrh was used to embalm the dead because it helped preserve dead bodies from decay. What were they saying when they gave myrrh? They knew that one day he would experience the bitterness of his death on the cross. And he would die for the sins of the world. And they gave myrrh 
representing that coming event. They knew what this child had come to do. Son of man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Jesus said, for this purpose I have come into the world. Not to live a good life, get a great house, new car, be rich and famous. No, I came to die. I I was born to die for the sins of the world. I'm the sacrificed lamb. I'm the one all the prophets pointed to. All the festivals foreshadowed. I'm the one. Every lamb that was slain through the centuries under Mosaic Judaism was only a type and a shadow of me. I'm the original final lamb. These wise men knew that he was heavenly royalty. He was divinity worthy of worship. And he was God's sacrificial lamb born to die in our place on the cross. So they show every sign of having been converted and they were saved. They were saved. When they died, they went straight into the presence of the Lord. I want you to stand with me, would you? So note with me, everybody, as we stand, even as a little child, Jesus radically and dramatically touched the lives of people. Amen. How many of you know he's royalty? Amen. Can you say with me, he's royalty, he's divinity, and he's the lamb. Amen. Can we lift our hands to the Lord? Thank you, Jesus. Lord, we come into your gates with thanksgiving and your courts with praise. Lord, what an incredible story these wise men present to us, these men who were so lost in occultic darkness when they saw the star, but ended up saved walking in the light. We thank you for it and bless your name. We come into your gates with thanksgiving and your courts with praise. Lord, what a mighty Savior you are. Now I'm going to ask us to bow our heads for a moment. Maybe today, dear friend, you don't know Jesus. Listen, look at these wise men. They had all kinds of learning. They might have been on the page of some famous business magazine if they had been alive, or science magazine if they'd been alive in our day. But they were lost. Though learned, lost. You can have a genius IQ and be lost. You can have all kinds of things going on for you and be lost. So I want to pray for you today if you need Jesus. I want you to encourage you to step out and just say, Jesus, I need you like they needed you. You're my star. My search ends with you. So say this with me. If you need to pray, do it now. Just pray with me. Let's go to the Lord. Say, Lord Jesus, I believe you died for me and rose again from the dead so that I might be saved. Lord, the wise men were saved. Millions have been saved since then. Save me. Forgive me of my sin. For I have sinned against God. Cover my sin in your blood. Wash it away. I receive you 
as my Savior and Lord. In Jesus' name.